right, brothers and sisters. I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 2 Timothy chapter 3 as we read verses 10 through 17. This, this passage at the end especially is, is very well known, especially when we speak of this topic. But verses 10 through 17... In looking up, I, I think there's a different version on the screen. Don't let that throw you off. It's all the Word of God, even if it's a different version of the English Bible. Okay? Okay. 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from, them all the, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word to us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the living God stands forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word to us, for entrusting it to us, for giving it to us as, as a guide that we might know your will and the way in which we should go. We ask, O oh Lord, that in this time of reflection on your word, that we would grow in our appreciation of it, indeed of our dependency upon it. We ask that you would still our hearts and minds to focus on the things you would have us to hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, beloved. Well, today is sermon three of our Reformation series this year in which we're kind of going in a little deeper on what we mean when we say sola scriptura. Uh, sola scriptura is one of the five Reformation sola statements. And as we've said, the word sola, that translates to only or alone, that, that is the word that was contested, that was contentious. That was what was unique about the Reformation and so when we say sola scriptura, it's the Reformation assertion that Scripture alone is the final authority. Scripture alone is the sufficient basis for Christian light and living. Scripture alone is all we need because it meets our every need. 
Scripture alone clearly reveals God's will to us, so we don't need an authoritative interpreter telling us. Scripture alone is the blueprint upon which the Reformation was built. Okay? And so Sola Scriptura was a quick discovery of Martin Luther's when he would have these debates wanting to talk about justification by grace alone through faith alone because that was the issue that was burning in his heart. But very quickly, he saw that the issue fundamentally was one of authority. Who gets to say? And so very quickly it was revealed that Scripture needed to be first defended. He took it as a given, but he realized the Roman Catholic Church that he was coming out of did not. It granted it as an authority, but not as the authority, okay? An authority and the authority, there's a world of difference between the two. And Sola Scriptura says it's the, not an authority. All right, so today, after having looked at the authority of God's word, that it is the final arbiter of truth. It is the norm that governs all other norms. After looking at the authority of Scripture, we looked last week at the necessity of Scripture, why we need it, and how Jesus affirms that we, we live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need the word for multiple reasons. And today we come to the topic of the sufficiency of the word. The Bible... The Word of God is sufficient. But what do we mean by that? What do we mean when we speak of sufficiency? We mean that it is enough. When we say that the Bible is sufficient, we mean that it is enough. You don't need Bible Plus to realize the purpose for which scripture is given. And we're going to dive into that in a little bit. But this is the doctrine that I think if we're going to be, uh, be honest and do the gut check, this is the, the doctrine of scripture, the part of scripture that is the biggest uh, stumbling block for, for Christians, for the people of God. Uh, it's one thing for Christians to acknowledge it as, an, as the authority, but, but all too often... This is something we affirm with our mouths. Oh, yes, Scripture is sufficient. But then we fundamentally deny by our course of life that it's not enough. And it goes back to that fundamental temptation that was given to Eve in the garden. When the serpent says to Eve, did God really say? And she responds and then he goes, no, you will be like gods. You won't die. And then she sees that it's, it's pleasing to the eye. It's useful for attaining wisdom. She sees the virtues of it. Okay, right there, what that is playing on is the perceived feeling that God has held out on us. Or that God hasn't given us everything we need. If God wanted me to be wise, he would have let me have the fruit. He hasn't given me enough to be wise. And so even from back then, the feeling, 
the inclination that perhaps God has not given me everything I really need, or worse, to frame it in a, in a, in a malevolent manner, God has held out on us, that impulse goes deep. It goes deep. We want to be handheld, it seems. We look back at God leading the people through the desert with the, with the fire by night and the whirlwind by day, and, and we think that is what we need. But I remind you, even when the people had a fire by night and a whirlwind by day, they didn't believe. We think, we're tempted to think, that God's word really is not enough to live a godly life, to know God's will for us. We want to be handheld, and we want God to tell us every little step we should take. Did you know, brothers and sisters, that one of the implications of the New Testament referring to the New Covenant era as, as us entering adulthood that's what Galatians is about. The old covenant, they're likened to children under, a, under, a, uh, under a, uh, a supervisor, a steward. But now that we've come into Christ, we've attained adulthood. Did you know what that means? That an implication is that God gives us everything we need to make reasoned, responsible, faith, obedient-based decisions of our own. So this non-stop, I want God to tell me which door to walk through, the question itself is fundamentally misguided. But I would say to you, the word of God speaks even to how we approach that kind of thing. The people of God have always struggled with the sufficiency of the word. I don't know if it's because God's word seems so, I don't know, plain, so, I don't know, ordinary, but go back to the Old Covenant and the people of God very rapidly adopted a Yahweh plus mindset. I don't know if it's because the worship of the Lord seems so, I don't know, mundane compared to the excitement of, of Asherah and Baal worship. I, I don't know if it's because they thought, hey, they, they worshiped and ate some raisin cakes and they got rain, so maybe it works. The early pragmatists, I, I don't know. But what I do know is that from the very beginning, God's people struggle with thinking that God's word is enough. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, that the sufficiency of the word, will, your understanding of the sufficiency of the word will shape your entire attitude towards God and towards the Christian life. Has God really given you all that you need? And I'm here to tell you yes. Jesus himself poignantly and, and powerfully asserts the sufficiency of the word in a very long parable he tells in Luke 16. You guys know it, the story of rich man and Lazarus. And a lot of people think, they get, they, get, they, get, they get sidetracked, they think in this long parable, 
that Jesus is talking about the differences between heaven and hell, and that they think that it's, it's not. He's telling the whole story. The whole story is a setup to get to the end where the rich man in hell, who, who's presented as being in hell simply because he was rich, which is why you shouldn't base a whole theology off of that parable. But he's presented in hell as saying to Abraham, send, send Lazarus to my family to warn them about hell. And then the punchline of the whole parable. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them read them. If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, they will not believe should a man rise from the dead. Okay? Jesus strongly asserts the sufficiency of the word for understanding God's will for life. God's word as the basis for theological certainty. That the idea of hell and warnings to flee from it are sufficiently derived from Scripture. That all you need is Scripture. That is the sufficiency of the word. Now what don't we mean when we talk about the sufficiency of the word? Because there are some things we don't mean by it. Well, the first thing we don't mean by sufficiency of the word is that the Bible tells us everything about everything. It doesn't. I assure you, at tax time and you've got your accountant, and when, when, it's, when it's time for the, your accountant to figure out what the, what the U.S. tax code says, he doesn't need to be looking in Leviticus. Okay? Uh, if, you're, if you're on the interstate and your tire pops, psh, uh, don't look in your Bible. You'll search in vain for instructions on how to change your tire. Similarly, it's near Thanksgiving time in about a month, and you forget what temperature the cook turkey needs to be cooked to, you'll search in vain for minimum safe cooking temperature in your Bible. Okay? The Bible is not, we're not claiming by, solus, by, by, by sufficiency of Scripture that the Bible tells us everything about everything. We are not even claiming that it tells us everything about God and, and, and us. At Deuteronomy 29, 29 says as much. That the secret things, the hidden things, belong to God. It's the revealed things that belong to us and to our children that we can obey him. So, so there's a distinction between the things that God has seen fit in his wisdom to not reveal to us and what he has revealed to us. The sufficiency of the word is saying that those things that God has revealed to us, they are in fact sufficient for the purpose of us being able to know, love, fear, and obey him. When we say sufficiency of the word, we also do not mean that there's no room for any other authority. We need subordinated authorities just to help us organize, just to help explain what we mean. Okay? We, we come to the Bible with different perspectives, and we need other authorities that help govern our, 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 our corporate activities. We need those things. What we're simply saying is that none of those things stand on equal footing with the Word of God. Okay? 
Third, we're not saying, some people think that when we say sufficiency of Scripture, that we're saying we don't need any creeds or confessions, all we need is the Bible. You may have heard the phrase, no creed but Christ, or no creed but the Bible. You may have heard that. And that is so misguided, brothers and sisters. I learned that truth as a 14-year-old. When I, when I was back from Germany, my, my dad had recently retired, and I was watching my younger brothers at the park, and some lady was watching her kids, and this lady did what good evangelicals do. She invited me to church. And I said, hey, I believe the Bible. What do you guys believe? Oh, we believe the Bible too. <laughs> Turns out our notions of believing the Bible were radically different. Surprise, surprise. But I learned that lesson as a 14-year-old. Did you know that if you go back to the early church days, to the Council of Nicaea, the Arians, the ones who claimed that there was a time when Christ was, when the Son of God was not, that one of the complaints the Arians had was that the, the now what we call Orthodox side was using language from outside the Bible. By saying that God is of one substance, the Son is of one substance with the Father. The word substance isn't in the Bible. Trinity's not in the Bible. They wanted to limit discussion to only use of Bible words. And what happens when you do that is you create room for people to use the words of the Bible to deny the teaching of the Bible. You see, what they wanted to do was go around and say, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Arians would happily affirm the Bible words, Jesus is the Son of God. Of course, with, like all other sons, there's a time when there's a beginning. And so what creeds and confessions enable us to do is they create a shared dictionary so that we can agree on what we mean when we say we believe the Bible. That is their value. So that we know what we mean when we say we believe the Bible. But in all cases, our confessions and our creedal statements must be subordinated to the word of God. So that's what we don't mean. Now, I will say that the sufficiency of scripture as painted here in our passage today in 2 Timothy 3 the, the thing I do miss about the King James and others is in verse 17 when it says that scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Basically, the sum total of all the Christian aspects we need to grow in grace and godliness, that, in verse 17, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, the, the word complete is in there twice in Greek. And so that, that's why in the King James it says thoroughly complete. By, by saying the word twice in Greek, it's drawing emphatic nature that you will be thoroughly complete. God has given you everything you need. Everything we need for what? Well, according to Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter, question three, when asked what do the scriptures principally teach, the answer is what we are to know about God or believe concerning God and what duty God has for us. In other words, they teach us everything we need to know about obeying, serving, and loving God. 
So I want to encourage you to think that to think of sufficiency in three ways. Okay? First, sufficiency of scripture is sufficient for knowledge of God. All theological statements must be in in, in harmony, must be consistent with scripture. Think about the assertions we make concerning God. Are they based in scripture? Are they based on scripture? So to go back to the early church Arian debate, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. So to say God is Trinity, those words are not in the Bible. But the, concept, the conceptual framework of saying God is Trinity is in the Bible. And so it is good and right for us to say then that God is Trinity. But consider this theological statement. Mary is co-redemptrix with Christ. Formal teaching of the Catholic Church says that when Mary was crying, because all mothers cry when they see their sons killed, but when Mary was crying, that was suffering, and that suffering was actually redemptive in the same way that Jesus' suffering was redemptive. That is formal teaching. Is that in the Bible? Are those words in the Bible? No. Is the conceptual framework in the Bible? No. So we would say it is completely outside the bounds of legitimate theological assertions about God. So we must limit then our theological statements of God and what we think about God to what we find in Scripture. Now this, this has huge impact for how we construe of God. And it, and it challenges the, the myths and, and, the, and the, dare I say, pagan thinking that comes in and, and, and to our thinking when we think about how God works and who he is and everything like that. We must continually challenge what it is we think we're thinking with what the word of God actually says by either reference or inference. So when you hear a thunderstorm, you don't think, oh, it's God fighting the devil. That's a pagan idea, okay? You don't, you don't think that God helps those who help themselves. That's, that's Benjamin Franklin, okay? Um, make sure you think about God in accordance with the word of God. But second, the Bible is sufficient for Christian living. He has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. David in Psalm 19 gives a powerful and beautiful statement of the sufficiency of Scripture for living. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even more than fine gold. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. You see, the Lord has made his will known to us and has given us scripture and we are told 
in Jude 3 that the faith has been delivered once for all. That means it's a done deal. It has been given to you. There's not more yet to be shown. So you have everything from God that you need to know how you can live in a manner that pleases God. So then what do you do with the conundrums of life that we really, really wish someone would just hold our hand and tell us where to go? Should I take the job in Albuquerque or should I take the job in Memphis? And brothers and sisters, this goes back to Augustine, and he was right. He was right. Love God and do what you will. You see, if you're living your life to please God, revealing, obeying the revealed commandments, then, then seriously, are, are any of the options that you would realistically consider bad options? No. Consider your duties. You have a duty to provide for your family. So th that means if, 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 the if the, your dream job of, of, of picking up seashells doesn't pay the bills, then, then maybe you've got to postpone that to retirement. Or maybe just make it a hobby because you've got to pay the bills. But, but see, even that is in accordance with the revealed will of God. So love God, obey his commandments, and do what you will. Third, the Bible is sufficient for church life, for its organization and public worship, for the doing of ministry. We don't need to continually court whatever in vogue philosophy is governing in the world at large. God's word gives us the blueprint for how we should organize. And I love, I love our BCO. We're not claiming that every single little dot of, of government is, is comes down. We say that we have to affirm as officers that, that our government form, that what we're doing and how we do things is in general conformity to the principles of God's word. Because there are principles. But those principles do exclude some things. And they require certain other things. For example, doesn't God's word tell us that a church must have multiple elders? Yeah. And doesn't God's word give us, give us an idea of the moral qualities of elders and deacons? And Yeah. So how we organize and in our public worship, Scripture tells us how God wills to be worshipped with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and prayers and the public reading of the word of God and the proclamation of the word of God, the sacraments. So the word of God tells us what we need to offer acceptable worship to God. And, and even in the doing of ministry, we have, here's where we have to have the gut check. Do we really believe all that we said last week about the necessity of the word, how, how the word of God is living and active? Do we really believe that a word-based ministry is sufficient? Or do we believe that we have to adopt every principle of consumerism and pragmatism to attract a crowd to hear? Are we trying to attract people with lights and shows, or are we trying to attract people with the word? 
That's the gut check for us. The word of God is sufficient. That means it's sufficient in our theological formation and in our personal living. And it also means it's sufficient in our church life. The word of God is beautiful. The word of God is such that we can have confidence that the Lord really has given us everything we need to live a life that is pleasing to him. So don't seek out angelic visions. Don't seek out some secret private word. If you would hear the voice of your Savior, turn to the scriptures. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much that you have given us everything we need to live a life that is pleasing to you. Thank you that everything that we ought to believe unto salvation is sufficiently taught in Scripture. And we ask that you would increase our commitment to it. That we wouldn't have wandering eyes and wandering hearts seeking whatever spiritual insight or value or guidance we can gain from something else. Help us to be people of the book at all times and in all ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.